0: Hello folks, and welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship Stories and Ideas. I'm Bala Musitz.
1: And I'm Mike Wasserman.
0: Today's guest on the podcast is Robin Singvi. He is a first time entrepreneur having started a software as a service company. We had a great conversation about the challenges of starting a software company, selling software, and all of the other things founders need to do.
1: Well, wait. Bella, you know, and I read i read Robin's bio, first time entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur in a really crowded space. It's hard to set your product apart. Um, this sounds like a recipe for trouble for me, but I don't know. Let's see and, and see. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say with, with him and, and see what to, the takeaways are for our listeners. What do you think? Shall we go?
0: Yeah, we had a great conversation. Let's give it a listen. All right. Robin, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, Bella.
0: Yeah, sure. So, Robin, tell me a little bit about what SmartQ is. This is the company that you founded.
2: That is correct. Uh, So I started SmartQ about a year ago in October of 2021. And SmartQ, essentially, its core function is to allow enterprise software sales teams to create personalized product demo libraries Mm. with the objective of helping sales teams close their deals faster right so yeah. the I- idea being that when you're showcasing your product to your prospect it's not simply you showing you know the 100 features that your product has but the prospect has come to you with a specific problem or a need and yes. your job as a good salesman or saleswoman is to show them just what they want to see and how parts of your product perhaps just 10% of your product Actually, solve for their uh, prospects for for the prospects' problems or needs, right? Yes. And and the way you do that, especially if you're selling enterprise software, you have a ton of different features modules. Is you want to have a library of demos that, as a as a sales rep, you can refer to and lean on, depending on who your buyer is or who you're speaking with, so that you can actually get the prospect of the aha moment faster. And that's yes. the problem that SmartQ is intending to solve.
0: Uh, very good. Uh, having been in the venture capital uh, business for an, a, a good number of years and having yes. made some investments in uh, SaaS enterprise companies, uh, I understand uh-huh. the pain that the sales process has. Yes. It's often long. It's a long sales cycle, typically. Uh, and oftentimes there's a trial involved and and it's understandably so, because lots of times these decisions that your customer is making uh, if if your product doesn't work for them, they're shut down right? right. They have to close the doors until the problem gets fixed yes. so So these are really critical decisions. So being able to have a good set of tools for the sales team to be able to use to, to get people over that threshold to say, okay, let's go to the next step I think is really critical. So what sort of inspired you to, to start this business?
2: Yeah. So Bella, you know, I lived this problem, right? So, so I spent about, about 10 plus years, uh, as part of various startups and we used to sell to enterprises, right? We used to sell complex health tech products to other enterprises and, I was, you know, I was heading up solution consulting and solution architecture teams at these startups. And one part of my team's responsibility was to enable and train and help sales folks showcase our products and solutions in the best possible light. And so we put in a lot of effort creating, you know, all of this collateral, all of these Mm. assets, including custom demos, to help sales folks sort of showcase our products to the prospects. But the frustrating part was, even after putting in all of that work, what we ended up seeing was that sales folks were still showcasing, you know, the same vanilla cookie cutter demo that they had in their back pocket that they were comfortable with uh, to the prospects. And more often than not, what used to happen is that at the, at the beginning of the year, sales leaders are looking at their sales pipeline. They're like, okay, we have a great sales pipeline. And quarter after quarter, the alarm bells start ringing. We're like, why are we not converting them, right? And yes. one part of the problem is that, well, even if you had a marketing qualified lead or a sales qualified lead, you were not really able to take that prospect to the aha moment. You were not able to showcase how your product solves their problem as opposed to showcasing the feature functionality of your product, right? And so, so, so that was an extremely frustrating part for me. We're like, we're putting in all this time and effort, but what is it that sales folks um, need that we're not able to provide, right? And during one of these sort of sales training sessions, one of my reps came up to me and she said that, hey, Robin, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to deploy all of these efficiency tools for us but you know what? It doesn't work for us because you're forcing us to change our existing workflows to do something different with the promise that things will get better perhaps after two quarters, three quarters a year. But you know, I'm a sales rep. I live quote, I live and die by the quarter. So, so I, I'm not going to adopt this, right? That's why we keep going back to our old ways. I was like, ah, that's that's really insightful, right? I mean, that frustration and that the gap between what we were trying to solve for and the sales reps' gap was or need was very interesting. And then, of yes. course, 2020, the pandemic hit and virtual selling became mainstream, right? Now, instead of being able to build a, a great rapport with your prospect, you know, being able to use your charm and charisma to perhaps push the deal over the line, you unfortunately have this cold, impersonal Zoom window, right? Yeah. On your laptop. Uh, through which you have to now convince the, the prospect that, that you're the right solution for them. But if you're gonna still keep doing those same stale old demos, you'll see that you know the, the client has already switched off, they're checking their emails, they're check, checking their Slack, and you've lost them, right? So, right? so the problem is even more acute, right? So So those two things really were kind of the perfect storm for me where I was like, okay, someone needs to solve for this problem, right? And and the solution needs to be something that fits into the salesperson's existing workflow. So we're not asking them to do something different, but we're saying, do what you're doing. We'll just help you do it better and close deals faster. Right? So, so that for us was kind of the, the big North star that we had when we yeah. were starting off the company. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the backstory.
0: So, so if I'm a salesperson, yes, I, I'm part of your sales team or, or you're trying to sell this to me. So I, I already have my, my 23 different demos that I use, right? I have my own package that maybe I put together myself, or maybe, maybe the sales team got together and said, okay, here's the 20 things that we do in, in the sales cycle and sales process. How is, how is SmartQ going to be different than that? How is SmartQ going to make that better? Give me some, can you give me some specific examples?
2: Yes, that's a great, great uh, question, Bella. So let's break that down, right? So one is as a sales rep, you you definitely you know if you're if you're a good sales rep, you have your notepads, or perhaps you know you have a Word document, or an Excel file, or a or a PowerPoint with screenshots and and your copy uh, running on another screen. That's a great thing. But when you really think about it, especially in today's world, when we're in the in you know the agile era of software development, your product's changing perhaps every two, four, six weeks. Yeah. And your messaging perhaps is changing every quarter, how you message, what resonates the best with with prospects and customers. And what happens because of that is that no matter how good you are, or no matter how diligent you are, a lot of the times your notes, your demo, starts to have some dissonance when it comes to where your product currently is, how you're supposed to be messaging it, and what you're showcasing, right? And then finally, the things that you're doing now are mostly manual, right? Or they live off in a separate system, in a, in a CMS system, or you know, perhaps a learning management system, or perhaps you have videos. But when you're doing a live demo, you don't necessarily have an assistant that is queuing you up at the right time, in, you know, indicating or nudging you to say the right things. Right. and message a specific feature in a certain way, which demonstrates the value proposition of that feature module for the prospect's pain point, right? So, so removing that, that manual effort or mitigating it, right? Is, is key, right? Yeah. So, so those, are, those are a few things that, that we solve for. And the way we do that is we take all of your, your demos or library of demos that you have in whatever form that you do, We configure them or we help you configure them inside of SmartQ. And then SmartQ essentially just runs as a Chrome extension uh, on the presenter side and only visible to the presenter. And you do your your product demo like you normally would. And SmartQ will contextually understand where you are. And based Uh on the, the prospect that you're speaking with, will give you the right cue, visual and textual, that, hey, you know what, since you're speaking to the VP of finance at this type of company, if you message this feature in this particular way, that buyer will resonate a lot more, right? And you want to do it differently for different buyer personas, use cases, industries. So, so that's that's what we enable, right? And then the the flip side of the problem is that it's great that the reps can can do that, right? Uh, but also yes. there's a lot of effort and time and resources that go into building editing and maintaining and updating all of these libraries, right? Sure. And and solution consulting teams, product marketing teams, what have you, they're the ones responsible to do it. With SmartQ, we also try and really compress that time and effort that is required by those teams to to create, update, and maintain these demo libraries, right? Uh, It it literally is, uh, you know, literally going into your library, opening up a specific demo, clicking on a few steps which are not relevant, removing them, adding uh, a few new ones that are now relevant. And yeah. as soon as you hit save, your entire sales team now has access to the latest and greatest product demo and the uh, the messaging that the leadership and the team envisions uh, for the sales team and how they should sell it.
0: Very nice. Very nice. So let's talk a little bit about, because uh, this podcast pretty much focused on entrepreneurship and yes. and, and people who start businesses that's our primary listener group. So let's talk a little bit about you starting this business, right? You, you, it sounds like you worked in small startups before, so you know what that environment's like, and and you decided to blaze out on your own. So can you talk a little bit about sort of what that decision making process was like? You know, did you just wake up one morning and say, "Aha, I'm going to go do this"? Uh, so talk to us about a little, a little bit about that, please.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, the first thing I would say is that working at a startup, no matter how big or small, is completely different to <laughs> having your own, right? Uh, yeah. And as a first-time founder, as a solo founder, you know, I kind of learned those lessons as I went along, right, As after I started my, my company. So anyone I meet right now, they're like, oh, I was a startup. I was, I was at that startup very early stage, so I know everything. Yes. like, do you? I don't think yes. so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so one is, you know, it just, just kind of be prepared for that, be prepared for a lot of uh, unknowns and variables, right. In that journey. Uh, now, my, my journey really, I think uh, was, yes, having worked at startups, I, I had that allure that, you know, I think this is great. The the amount of freedom that you can get uh, to be able to um, uh, you know run the business the way you want to take certain decisions, be agile, do some quick a b testing, be be prepared to fail, and and other members in your team member being okay with failure was something that that really uh, was appealing to me, right? Uh, in addition to that, i was I was lucky enough to have some some really great bosses and mentors throughout my mm-hmm. career and who had successfully built, scaled and exited businesses. So I was always in their ear about, like, you know, what about this? What about that? Sure. Do you really enjoy it? You know, what, what, what did you like? What do you not like about, uh, about running and building a startup? And the more conversations I had, you know, the, the more it became clear that you know I really need to do something of my own, right? It was the freedom, and and I think the biggest thing was was the unknowns, right? It's like. Oh, it's, it's, it's the charm of, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I yes. think it's going to be fun. Yes. Right? And, and of course it's not all fun and games, but for the most part uh, it has been right. And of course it's only been a couple of years, but uh, so, so talk to me in a couple of years if I still feel the same way, right. but, uh, but, but definitely like, I think it's, it's just a lot of fun, the degree of freedom you have. And for me, I think the biggest learning is having been in, in. The industry as a professional, as an employee for about ten plus years, I can safely say that in the in the past couple of years, I think I may have learned and grown a lot more uh, mm. than I than I did in the ten years because sure. you, you're really you know while you can read all the blog posts, watch all the videos, there really is no playbook, right? Every entrepreneur has defined their own playbook of how to run a business, how to succeed at a business and how to, how to sort of separate business and right. professional uh, and personal life, because that's, that's something that, that no one can teach you. And as a, as a first time founder, you have no idea how to separate the
0: two. Right. Well, I didn't. Right. Right. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you found a company, you, you have sort of an idea for the product or service in your brain <clears throat> and, and then, there's sort of understanding and getting that getting your product market fit fine-tuned and getting it razor sharp because oftentimes a slight variation in that can make all the difference between success and a lot less success right. how have you focused on product market fit and how have you how has that evolved for you
2: yeah and and bella the first thing i'll say is that i think we're still finding product market
0: fit Right. Well, you Uh, should be. That's a continuous process. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right. So, so uh, there is is no finish line for that. Correct. Correct.
2: (laughs) Correct. And so for us, it was very interesting. Right. So the first thing I did, I had the idea and I was like, man, this is a great idea. People are going to love this. People are going to pay for it. But, you know, having spoken to some of my mentors and, and past bosses, they're like, well, maybe it's great. But what you need to do before you even spend a single dollar or spend any number of hours trying to build it is talk to folks who you think are going to be your buyers, right? And so I made a list of people, started reaching out to them, started having conversations. And even even that was a very interesting process because, you know, you can always ask questions that are biased and get answers that you want to hear. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and then, you know, I started to realize that and I, someone referred the book, The Mom Test. To me, right, about how to actually conduct uh, unbiased, relatively unbiased uh, discovery interviews, or, or, you know, in in my case, um, interviews for understanding whether the the idea and the problem statement that I'm trying to solve for is uh, is valuable or not, right? Uh, Is worth solving or not? So I did that. Like I had a ton of conversations. Um, I I started to like, you know, just just build a, a rough prototype or a sketch just to start to put a visual to my question or my problem statement as well and then um, early on you know I I got a couple of people to say that hey you know what Uh, if you build that I'll buy it and uh, I I try to be cocky and I was like well how about you buy it now and then I'll build it (laughs) Um, uh, I got lucky and a couple of people said yes so I was like well now I have to build it yeah, uh, cause yeah. they already paid me. So, so, so that was the beginning and we built
0: something. So, but, you know, I, I, I just yes. want to, I, I, I yeah. just want to focus in on that for a second. Yes. Uh, that happens more often than people think. Mm. So there's been lots of entrepreneurs I've talked to who have sold the product yeah. before they had the product developed. Right. And, and that's a great way of funding your business. Right. Right? Yeah. Now, you have to deliver, right? I mean, there's ethical elements to this, of course. Uh, but oftentimes, entrepreneurs don't think of that. They don't think of this notion of, you know, of, of what you just said, you know, yes. if, if I build this, you know, if you build that, I'll buy it. And then you say, Oh, okay, well, c- can you pay me now? And yeah, I mean, people do that all the time with consultants. That's what a consultant is. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Basically, exactly. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah. Um, so get paid I, on I think promise. that's a, Yes, absolutely. Yes. So I think that's just a great point. So I'm glad you brought that up.
2: Yeah. 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 I, and, you know, uh, I, I think I kind of fell into it, but yeah, I, I wish I'd done, I, I would have done more of that, to be honest. Right. Um, uh, but of course, you know, as a first time founder, you, you learn as you go, perhaps sure. uh, in, in my next business, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have much more paying customers and then I'll start building. Right. Uh, but, but then we did that, we built something and, and, and Bella had failed, like, you know, it just did not work. Uh, we, we could not fulfill on the, on the promises of mm-hmm. what we, what we showed to people that, you know, this is, this, this is how it's going to work. This is how it's really going to help your sales teams. It just didn't work. Right. And, but, but, but I think it was great because that learning, I think was better than all of the conversations put together. Right. You have something, anything in the hands of paid customers who who now have a vested interest in in using you because they've, they've paid for your product and they will do everything to make sure that it works for them. So they did. they actually stress tested the product like you know, did everything sure. possible yeah. and um, things we hadn't imagined with the product. And you know, we came to the conclusion that it doesn't work and and interestingly enough, it actually, fell foul of the of the primary goal that we had, which is that it should not create friction for a rep in their existing workflow. And it did, right? And so we scrapped scrapped the entire thing, we re-architected and rebuilt the entire product, further tried to understand what is it that the customers need, how they uh, end up using other successful sales tech tools that are in their workflow and what makes those things successful and then, you know, this past September, we kind of relaunched it again, right? Yeah. So, so now it's 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 literally a, a simple, lightweight Chrome extension. With our, our goal is that no more than two clicks away from doing what you want to do, right? Yeah. Um, going by that old Steve Jobs uh, uh, principle, right? Um, we still have some ways to go towards that, but I think our core use cases we're doing we're doing a decent job, I would say. Very good. Um, yeah. And so we did that and then it's been three months, three odd months now, and we're now seeing customers actually use it. They're like, ah, this works. Like this works for me. I can, I can make this work. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that's kind of been the, the evolution really of SmartQ from where, where it was an idea on the back of a napkin to how it sort of evolved into, into yeah. what it is today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great story. So uh, one of the challenges for all entrepreneurs is pricing and mm. figuring out pricing. Right. So can you share with us how how you have sort of figured out your, your pricing?
2: I have not figured out my pricing, how about <laughs> that?
0: <laughs> Fair but, answer.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, it, it just like finding PMF, I think uh, pricing is an iterative process. Um, what I wanted to do right at the beginning was not overcomplicate things, right? On day one, I literally had just one pricing. I was like, that's it. This is how much it costs. Will you pay me or not? Perhaps we'll discount it. Perhaps, you know, we'll we'll figure out some other ways, but I I just wanted to stress test one price point. Uh, Now we're, we're just a little bit more mature. We have a couple of variations or flavors of the product and, and, and we're still trying to figure out what pricing works for which target segment um and and what's the ceiling right like how much can we push the envelope yes. uh, and what's yes. the value that we deliver that people will still pay what we're asking them for and of course you do all the traditional things you look at your comp- your competition you benchmark yourself and and because we're still early enough uh you know try and price yourself competitively um so that you know if you can't compete on on the features of your of your competitors, right. which are obviously uh, further ahead than you are, uh, perhaps you can at least get your foot in the door sooner. Uh, showcase the, the 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 financial advantage advantages of going with you, and then eventually uh, and gradually start to showcase the value that you bring.
0: Right, right, very nice. Um, and another big challenge for entrepreneurs is hiring and finding cool. the right employees. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about how you think about hiring and your hiring process?
2: Yes, uh, and then like hiring is is such a interesting piece of the startup puzzle, right? And I think more than anything else, that's the part that I've grown to enjoy it. And I never thought I would enjoy the process of hiring, but I've grown to enjoy it because you know you're a lot of the times. The, the kind of people you attract on paper are great for you, right? They're like, oh my God, this, this person's resume is so great. He's done so many great he or She's done so many great things. But then the thing I think that is really important is, it, I, I think there's a few things. One is that their sort of their attitude or psyche, right? What mm-hmm. is it that, mm-hmm. that drives a person? If it's just the paycheck, so like, you know, for me, it's like an automatic no, right? I'm like, of course I can't pay you what a Facebook or a Google can pay right. you. Like that's that's right. that's that's a very unreasonable expectations to, expectation to have. I, I think the second is is just that I think self-initiative or independence and, and being able to thrive in 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 the unknown, right? right? And that and I guess some people call it like your risk appetite. They're like, yeah, well, we'll yeah. figure it out. Maybe yeah. it'll work, maybe it won't, but it'll be fun, right? And I think that that, that is the, 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 the biggest thing for me when I, when I come across people, when I talk with them, because that's why I started Smart I sure. Like, This is going to be fun. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it, is it a sure shot? No. But I think it's going to be fun, like a lot of fun, because you know, this, this, I'm passionate about it. This Solving this problem really motivates me. Right. I wake up in the morning and go to bed still thinking about the same thing. And I'm okay with that, right? Um, finding people who have that same psyche is is, um, is a challenge, but, a, but yeah. a good good sort of challenge to have. So like, those are some of the things that I definitely look for. Um, and then, you know, for me, it's just because I'm a solo founder and now I have, you know, a couple of people in my team, you know, I have like a couple of questions in my bank, which i like, you know, no matter how good this person looks on paper, I'll like send that out to them, try to find like, you know, Filter some people out, sure. uh, see see sure. if they're driven or not. Uh, but other than that, you know, yeah, it it, it really is a uh, art rather than science. I think uh, hiring, finding, and hiring the right person.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, let me ask you another question. One of the things yeah. that I think entrepreneurs struggle with is uh, should I have? Let me take a step back. a, a, a board of directors or a board of advisors. Right. And I always think that one of the, you know, being in the venture business in, in the past, you take money from a venture capitalist, you're going to have a board of directors. That's just part of the deal. And I think one of the great things about that is that as an entrepreneur, or uh, you stand up in front of that board of directors and you say, here's the things we're going to do in the next two months. Yes. And two months later, you got to stand back up in front of those board of directors and say, I told you we were going to do these things. And here's how we're doing, uh, so I think there's value in that. Whether you call it a board of advisors or board of directors, whatever. So, how do you think about that? And do you have, you know, that a, a board of advisors or board of directors?
2: Yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's a that's a great point. Uh, right now, I have a board of advisors, right? So, and, and you know, I, I kind of set that up right right uh, on sure. day one, just because I was like. Especially as a solo founder who doesn't necessarily yeah. have a co-founder to I, bounce ideas off of or, or have some accountability, having these people um, who, are, who are definitely in your corner, but who will ask the hard questions, who 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 you've mandated that, hey, you know what, come on as board of advisors, not to like pat me on the back, but like right. really keep right. me honest, right? And so... What you know, I have I have four people who who are who are on SmartQ sort of board of advisors, um, and I try to set up like a a monthly or a, now a quarterly uh, meet with them. Very nice. And you know, it's like okay, we're meeting. This is the agenda. This is and then go through it, uh, talk through with them, and you know, the next quarter or the next month, kind of follow up and like, what did you actually manage to achieve from here or there? I think for for especially for me as a first time founder, or solo founder. Uh, that's been invaluable, right? Uh, there are there are a lot of times when I come out of these meetings, I'm like, oh my god, like why am I even doing this? It seems like I'm doing everything wrong, uh, but uh, but but the next day it's just like, okay, so they ask these questions. There's a reason for this, and what can I do to, yeah. to perhaps work towards uh, answering those questions, right? So 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 I, I think it's it's a it's a boon, and I think for um, early Uh, Stage startups and founders who are doing this for the first time and uh, are are solo on this journey, having this 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 close knit group, whether it's official board of directors or or just advisors, is great. But I I think you you have to take the initiative as a founder to make sure that you tell them what you expect from them, right? Right. It's not just like I just want to exactly. It's not I just don't want to put your photo up on my website, but I actually want you want you to
0: add value, right? Right, right, and let me ask another question. I think mm-hmm. founders struggle with this as well. Do you compensate your board of advisors at all? I don't mean if it's a personal question. I don't want to answer. It. That's fine. No, but it's I'm just fine.
2: Uh, I, I do, uh, I do, and and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. Um, but yeah. that, what I also know is that, you know, for my board of advisors, what I'm compensating them with, and it, it's equity, not not um, any sure. monetary um, value. Even equity for them, it's 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 not moving the needle. Right. They. It, Giving them equity does not equate to them giving you time. I think that really comes from your equation and um, the discussion that you've had with them prior to extending that invitation to them.
0: Sure, sure.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I, I think more than the incentive or payment, I think it's more about what is your social contract with that person.
0: Yes. And it's and it, it can be one element of that contract, of that Correct. social contract. Correct. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it also shows to them that you're placing value on this relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, very exactly. good. So, um, uh, we've been talking almost a half hour here, so I'm going to start wrapping it up. Is, okay. is there, uh, anything else that, uh, I should have asked you, uh, that I didn't, that you'd like to share with our audience?
2: No, I, I I don't think so. But but you know one thing that I've been thinking about uh, a mm. lot, Bella, in the in the past uh, few months, especially given you know the news about the impending recession and things like that. Yes. And and the conversation that I've been having with a lot of fellow founders is that what's going to happen, right? And my my current conviction is that you know in the news you read a lot about the outliers. Right about folks who are who are wildly successful or right. failing spectacularly, right? But it is important to stay grounded and stay on the path, right? Uh, don't get frustrated um, while while a lot of people outside looking in think that startups are a great way to like you know making quick quick money. It actually right. is not that right. It's it's a grind, right? And That's and right. I think the 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 biggest. Uh, my biggest current commitment is to have patience, right? Keep your keep your head down, do the things that you need to do, and be patient, right? Uh, yep. Just just keep at it, right? Don't get frustrated or be like, "Oh my God, everyone around me is like doing so well. Uh, why am I still not able to get from zero to one?" Right? You you'll get there. You just have to trust the process. So yeah. so that's that's been my current sort of uh, you know uh, mind space. And you know, just just figured that you know, if yeah. there's other founders out there who are in the same boat, might 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 uh, find some kinship there.
0: Yeah, very good, very good point, very good point. So, if people want to find out more about SmartQ or connect with you, what's the best way for folks to do that?
2: Yeah, so so where wherever you spend your time uh, on the internet, right? So if you're on LinkedIn, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. My first name, last name, just search for me there, Robin Singby. uh Same on Twitter. Um, we have a Substack newsletter, which is smartq.substack.com, uh, of course, our website, and, and you know, I write a, a I, I try to write um, as often as I can. So instead of a blog uh, on our website, we have something called the Founders Corner, where I'll yes. put down my thoughts. Sure. And so you know, they, they can definitely find me there, uh, reach out to me, and I'm always more than happy to talk to. Fellow founders and and folks who you know who are were embarking on this journey or are on this journey.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, Robin. Hey, uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I learned a lot, and uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, Bella. I was, this was great.
1: Bella, well, that was an interesting interview, and all my fears about first time and solo entrepreneur were clearly unfounded. Um, what did you take away from this? You talked a little bit about having your venture capital hat on and. Um, I know this is fascinating for both of us, uh, given our experiences. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, first time solo founders, I think, is a challenge. First time you do anything is a challenge, I think. At least I know for me. you know, For me too. My first job, (laughs) just kind of learning the ropes. And I think the same thing is true when starting a business. And as I've often said and have heard people say, you know, it's not as hard as you think. It's not as intellectually hard as you think, but it's so much work than you can ever imagine. I mean, I, I, I recall the very first company I started with three other people, co-founders. And, you know, our first day at work was uh, we were in a big empty warehouse. And there was one folding card table and three folding chairs. There wasn't even enough chairs for everybody to sit down. <laughs> and. And that was it. That was our first day. And then we have to figure out, you have to figure out how to do all this infrastructure stuff. You had to order furniture. You had to order telephone systems. You have to order all these things. And after you do all of that work, your business is still worth zero.
1: (laughs) You haven't made any
0: progress, right? You haven't made any progress in the business.
1: (laughs) No sales, no customers,
0: no product, nothing. (laughs) So that's the, that's the part that when you go to work for an existing organization, right, you, you, you take all that stuff for granted, but it, it's all stuff that's needed. So when you're a first time founder, yeah, if you're working out of your house, you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff, but you know, you're going to get an, and that's why these shared office spaces are oftentimes great, right? It takes care of all that infrastructure. So you don't have to spend your time and energy on it. And a lot of that infrastructure is capital dollars. You, you you know, it's, it's a big chunk of money and it's, it's heavily front end loaded. So that's the work part. That's the work part that you just, most people don't think about. They're so focused on, okay, we got to get our product developed, et cetera. Oh, we just hired somebody. Oh, now we got to get them a computer. We got to get them a desk. We got to get them a chair. We got to get him an mm-hmm. office, uh, blah, 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 blah. So I, I think, I think that's sort of, sort of always interesting. And I wanted to ask you a question. So what's your thoughts on sort of governance and a board of trustees or a board of directors for sort of like first time founders, early, super early stage companies, you know, pre-revenue, pre-product companies?
1: So I'm of two minds of this, Bela. So it's a great question. And on one hand, I totally agree with what you and Robin were talking about in the interview, that I think it's really important to have this idea um, of some some smart people to bounce ideas off, preferably with some experience in the space, and the um, and this idea of accountability I think is always fantastic. The other thing that we, what you didn't emphasize, but I think is also really important, is the to get you into the network that you need to make introductions, to help you identify talent. We've had a couple of guests on where we talked about the importance of uh, talent identification and using your board for that purpose, um, as well access to capital, lots of things. Um, but i also think so i but i think that's if you have the right board that's if you have Mm -hmm. the right people that are helping you and i think it's really easy for solo entrepreneurs to make some mistakes and i've seen this happen where the the board doesn't have the right kind of expertise or networks um and they're trying to be helpful it's usually not a something that's that's it's unintentional but it's um you wind up listening to the board and they take you in a bad direction so yeah. to me, it's kind of like, I think it's good to have a balance. It's really important to have a board. But then I think it's also important to have some other voices and they, whether they're some of your early employees that you can trust and have expertise um, or whatever. So I guess I say, yes, a board is really important, but pick that board really carefully. And it's definitely, you don't want people who are going to always agree with you. Don't put your your mom and your grandpa and your cousin Sally on it. Um, that's generally not the best way to go. Um, yeah. But um, to find some people that, that have some knowledge, have some trust um, and some expertise, and and, and usually you'll, you'll be in good shape. So a board, yes, pick carefully.
0: Yeah, I think related to that, this is where I think uh, before you start the company uh, or, or any parts of your career, networking and, and going to various different type of gatherings, whether it be with the Chamber of Commerce, Commerce or industry gatherings or whatever is a good place to go because you meet people and those are places oftentimes where you can find board members or potential board members and advisors or mentors that you know maybe have more experience maybe have done this and i think a lot of uh, early people early in their career don't do en- enough of that and and that's a great source because for these types of this type of talent, as well as hiring people, right? It, it's it's multifaceted. The value of those social networks is multifaceted. And when I mean social network, I don't mean Facebook, right? I mean a a physical social network where where yep. where you where you go someplace and you hang out in this room with 150 other people, and maybe you listen to some presenter talk about some topic, and then you just mingle, and you got to be bold, and and you got to just be an extrovert and meet people.
1: <laughs> even and, if you're like me and hate and have social anxiety and are yes. actually an introvert, um yes. even though I get up in front of students every day, that's a different it's a whole different thing and you really it's one of the keys to being a successful entrepreneur is getting out there and meeting people and introducing yourselves because it's um it is critical and I love how you open most of these podcast episodes with how do you how do you introduce yourself, right? What do you tell people when they ask what you do? Right. Um, because this is just yes. one of those amazing skills that can open up all kinds of conversations. And I've been shocked, Baylet, especially successful entrepreneurs, but in big companies too. Successful people, they want to help. They're willing to help entrepreneurs. Yes get started. And compensation absolutely is important. I love the reason that you talked about, that it shows that you're putting some skin in, even if there are stock options that aren't worth, anyth- worth anything, right. right? But you're saying, hey, I'm, you know, at least I'm giving you something here, but you'll find that most people don't do it for the money.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. They're, they they want to give back. Mm-hmm. People, who, people who've walked down that trail want to help you be able to walk down that trail or the trail next to it or cut your own trail, right? Yep. The other question I had for you is, how do you think about pricing? You know, you're coming out with a product and there's probably competing products. How, how do you, do you have thoughts on pricing?
1: Oh, it's just one of those, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this and I can just tell you what I've observed and some of the things from my own experience um, is that it's always easy, you know, and these things, nobody's aren't, aren't going to be a shock to anybody, but it is always easier to lower to lower your price than to raise it so if anything you want to make the mistake of starting on the high end especially if it's any kind of premium product that that perception you don't want to necessarily be the perception of cheap you can give de- discounts you can say look it's tuesday and you're our, our customer number one thousand and you're getting 35 percent off or whatever go for it right because then tomorrow you can be charging full price again and you can tell that tomorrow oh you're the 1, and w- first customer and you're getting 35 percent off thank you right um but I, you know, pricing is, is, is hard, you know, software as a service, again, it's a subscription model. So to me, it's kind of getting this recurring, getting the, is it yearly? Is it monthly? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Getting the the timing right. Um, and giving some options on, on how you can pay and what you can pay, I think is always really good. Um, but I think pricing is one of the areas where I don't know that it's a science. I think it's half science and half art. Mm. Um, you have to keep your eyes open on your competition. You really have to know what your customers are willing to pay. And you always have to be in this battle that whatever it is that you're charging, you're justifying that price and a little more that people are like, hey, I paid $100 for this. I would have easily paid 150 next time. So, yeah, I might be leaving some money on the table and I might be able to price at $130 or, or 140 right? But I want there to be that 20 30 40 $50 of goodwill where people will come back to you every time without question they'll run through walls for you they'll forgive you if you make a mistake give you a chance to fix it recommend you to their peers so i like this idea that whatever the perceived value of your customers are your prices are high relative to the competition but lower than that perceived value so you've always got this kind of well of of goodwill right um right. that right. that um that customers are willing to willing to pay for i don't know what what are your thoughts
0: i i th- this is this is some a place where i think your customer service way uh, com- completely overpowers or 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 overrules whatever your price is. I, I guess my point is, if if you have a low price and crappy customer service, that that your those folks are not going to renew. And if you have a high price and crappy customer service, you're you're done because definitely he, done. people yeah. re, people engage in the customer service, you know, every day, once a week, whatever it is. But they don't engage on the pricing, and and usually, at you know, for for the for the person running the department, that's once a, once a year when they do the budget.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, so I think this is where, and and I and I agree with you that it's it should be about value pricing. And I'll, I'll tell you one big mistake I've seen entrepreneurs make, particularly companies that that make a widget or even software products. They they figure out what their cost is. They multiply mm-hmm. it by some factor, and that's our price. All right. And I, I keep no, <laughs> right? This should be. You got to figure out your place in the marketplace. What's your competition? How do you stack up against them? It, it, it maybe maybe you should charge ten times what it cost you to make it, not two and a half. All right.
1: Well, Apple is a great example of this, right? Apple exactly. costs so much more than the competition, but they know that they can, and they do a good job. To, I mean, whether you love them or hate them, you got to admit they're priced high, and the that's people right. who love them love them, right? And they keep right. and they keep going back.
0: And and that's just, and I think you're you're that's another good point. I think you I think you want to have a consistent pricing message.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You you don't you don't want to be you don't want to try to be Apple, you know, for three months, and then try to be Walmart for the next three months.
1: Mm-hmm
0: because that confuses the
1: marketplace. Yeah, and the clothing business has figured this out, right? Clothing right. retailers, this is why the depart- traditional department stores, one reason why they've had so much trouble is they have high list prices, and every three months there's a huge sale. And so right. what people they train people just to wait, right? right? And it's a huge mistake. And then in that time between they're waiting for the sale, they're going somewhere else to buy their clothes. They're going to yeah. Zara, they're going, right? Yeah.
0: So, yeah, the other the other observation I'll make uh, about, particularly about software as a service companies, And software companies in general is we, again, back in my venture days, we made some investments and, and the software companies landed a real, their first customer was a really big customer, really important, you know, a, a, a keystone customer, which is great. But then what happens is you get, you get so engrossed in, in, in servicing that customer and making sure that customer's happy that you, you end up putting all your resources into that one account because you're still a small business and and you end up not getting other customers. And so now you have this one dominant customer that's sucking up 70% of your resources. Now, maybe they're giving you 80% of your revenue, <laughs> but having this diversity in customer base, I think is really, really important.
1: Agreed. So, so you're probably gonna lose that customer at some point, at maybe some through point no fault of your own, Right they right. get I mean, every, bought, right and, yeah right? and
0: everybody everybody talks about everybody talks about you know having a diverse customer base not relying on one customer that's great but be very very careful if the first customer you land is a whale yep. <laughs> because because it's it's really going to suck up all your resource i'm not and saying don't do it float, right right but, but just be careful. Just because be that consci- whale
1: at the surface when that whale's floating along on the surface and you're just hooked to it and towing behind in the waters it's fine, but once that whale dives or that whale jumps, right, you're in big trouble,
0: right? So, so it's okay to do it, but be cognizant of it, and and make sure you 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 more than double your efforts to land additional customers.
1: Um, Even if you have two big customers and they're each fifty percent, you're in a way better situation that's than right. if one one customer is eighty percent of your revenues and you lose it. Right. You know.
0: Right. So those were those were sort of my thoughts about our conversation. I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. I mean, B2B is a really important market. A lot of people don't think about it. I really push my students to consider B2B when they're mm. thinking about um, not only their careers, but just thinking about business problems in general, that um, a lot of problems um, that B2C, uh, you see in the B2C side that students typically gra- gravitate to because they know it. Um, they also have these in B2B, mm. but there's a whole other host of problems and opportunities in the B2B space right. uh, that I think are really interesting and 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 we're thinking about. And um, there's a, it's a, there's a, it's a nice space to be in, whether you're an entrepreneur or, or, uh, somebody who's working for one of these companies that, uh, that oftentimes is overlooked. So great, uh, great find to talk to Robin and I really, uh, appreciated his, uh, perspectives. And again, you know, at, at the open, I said, you know, solo entrepreneur, no partners first time, right. The whole nine yards, but really a great story. And thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, it was fun. Great. Well, let's wrap it up. Listeners, thanks for joining us today. And we hope you found this interesting, uh, episode as interesting and thought-provoking as we did. Uh, if you have questions about what we've discussed, always feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is bala.ann.mike at gmail.com.
0: Hey, and give us a follow on the podcast. Uh, and just to let you know, the podcast is now available both on your favorite podcasting application and we're also on YouTube. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike.
1: Sounds great, Bela, from over here in a very sunny but cold Münster, Germany. We'll see you next time.